0: Welcome to the Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from the Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke looking
1: specifically at the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, in particular, a lot of the teaching has to do with preparing his disciples for what's going to happen when he dies and is resurrected and leaves. But also, specifically, he's doing a lot of teaching really trying to address a problem that was very evident in Judaism at that day, and I'll be very frank with you, is very evident in Christianity today in our circles. And that is the whole issue of self-righteousness, being religious, thinking you've got your act together, when in reality you may not. In fact, today we're going to look at, Jesus is going to come in contact with the rich young ruler. Now Luke doesn't describe him as young, but the other gospel writers describe him as, as young. But we're going to see that he comes in contact with the rich ruler today. And the rich ruler is going to come to him and say to him, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And from that interaction with Jesus, we're really going to see how we really need to be careful that we're not just religious. That we just think, don't think that we've got our act together, that we're okay because of a bunch of this, that, or another, but that we really begin to see where we're really at in our relationship with God and how much we need him even just for our salvation. So I want you to notice with me, Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Well, who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, We have left all and followed you. He said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Folks, we're going to look today and see what the whole issue of true discipleship is. True discipleship versus the whole issue of being religious. True discipleship versus the whole issue of being self-righteous and thinking you've got your act together. We're going to see that today. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this passage we're going to basically divide it into three sections. We're going to look at verse 18 and we're going to look at the wrong thinking of this rich young ruler. Then we're going to take the second section. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23 there. And we're going to look at the confrontation that takes place. When you say, well, when I read this, I don't see a confrontation. Well, just bear with me. You'll see the things that Jesus is talking to him about is a confrontation. And then we're going to see what true discipleship is in verse 24 through 30. So let's look at this together. First of all, the wrong thinking. So let's set the stage here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's going through village to village, we don't know where he is at this point. Luke doesn't tell us. At some point, a rich young ruler comes up. Let's stop for a moment. What's a, what kind of a ruler is he? A Roman authority? No, no. He's a Jewish guy. More than likely, he is a man of affluence. Comes from a rich family. Therefore, he probably holds a position within the synagogue, which means he holds a position within that community. Therefore, he's called a ruler. So I just want you to understand, it's a little bit different in, in their culture than it is in our culture. Because their culture was is that their faith, Judaism, was very much the center of who they were as a people. And so when you talk about somebody being a, an authority or a ruler within the synagogue, that meant that they were an authority or a ruler within the whole community. Therefore they were called a ruler. Now that's not true today, is it? You, know, you might have a pastor, but that may mean nothing in a community in our culture. But what we see here is he's a rich young ruler. Now, look at what he says to Jesus, and we're going to see a couple of things that come out here about his wrong thinking. Look with me at verse 18. He says this, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Two things I want you to see. First of all, he views spiritual things casually. He views spiritual things casually you're saying okay well wait a minute george where did you get that well look at what he says to jesus and i'll explain it to you he says to jesus good teacher now if you read on to the next verse there jesus says to him why do you call me good what's the issue here why is this taking it casually well in their culture and we know this even from rabbinical writings of that time period No rabbi would allow himself to be called good. In fact, the rabbis taught that there was no one good but who, folks? God. And so this guy is coming up, and when he goes and addresses Jesus as a good teacher, he's obviously some kind of ruler in the synagogue. He understands that there really is only one person who's good. That's God. So what's he doing here? He's being rather flippant. He's kind of flattering Jesus. It's kind of like, oh, man, you're the greatest dude ever. Can you help me out? Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody who wants to ask you a question, patronize you and give you flattery? How many of you have ever had that happen? You know, And, and, and sometimes you're wise to it and immediately, like if your sweetheart does that to you, oh honey, you're just so wonderful. What do you want? You know, that's the type of thing here because you know that, oh sweetheart stuff is just being flippant. This is what's going on here with this guy. He's, not take, he's kind of casually talking about spiritual things. Okay, He's very casual about it. Because he would know that there's only one good, that's God. In fact, that's what Jesus will point out to him here in the next verse. The other thing I want you to see here is this. He views eternal life as a set of actions. He views eternal life as a set of actions. What do you mean by that, George? Well, here's this guy... He obviously believes that there is an eternal life, that there's heaven afterwards. He wants to know, how do I enter into the kingdom of God? Because obviously maybe he's heard Jesus talking about it. It's very much a central theme of Jesus' messages. And so he wants to know, what does he got to do to get there? Now you might be saying, well, that's just a natural question, George. What must anyone do to get there? Well, here's here's what I want you to see. The problem is with this guy is that he has reduced the whole concept of God in the kingdom down to a set of actions that he must complete in order to get there. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's reduced it down to a set of actions that he must complete in order to get there. Now, this is one of the first traits that you will see about somebody who's really religious, somebody who's self-righteous, somebody who thinks they got their act together. You say, what do you mean by that, George? Well, let's think about it. When you're self-righteous, when you think you got your act together, when you're religious, what is it that you're doing that makes you think that? Well, supposedly you're doing all the right things. We've seen that in our churches through the years, haven't we? This is the attitude of this guy. Wrong thinking to think that your acceptance by God has anything to do with what you're doing or haven't done. So there it is. There's this wrong thinking. He approaches Jesus. And so now it sets up the confrontation. Now it sets up where Jesus is going to challenge him. So I want you to notice what goes on here. There's actually three different challenges that are taking place here. The first challenge has to do with his flippancy. So look with me, verse 19, and look at how Jesus responds to him first of all. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Here's what Jesus is doing. First of all, he's saying to the young man, he must consider his standing before God. He must consider his standing before God. He's got a flippant attitude, and when you got a flippant attitude, chances are that you've got a flippant attitude towards your whole approach to God in the first place. I already told you that in their day, they would never, the rabbis, the Jewish people would never refer to a rabbi as good simply because there's only one good, that's God. But if you're going to be flipping about it, that really says something about your attitude towards God. What this guy is missing here is his true perspective of who he is before a holy God. Now, when Jesus says this, he's also pointing something out to him. Could it be that maybe you're talking to him right now? In fact, this is one of the few passages that we can point to that really points to the deity of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. No one is good, that is, but God. So you're calling me good. Is it because you recognize something? See, the guy's being flippant, but Jesus is really challenging him to really think about the whole issue of God, his standing before God, and who he is. Do you understand? He's really challenging them there. He goes on, and here's the next part. It has to do with the law. Look at what he said, Jesus says to him now. Jesus says to him, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And notice how the guy replies. It's almost shocking that he says that, but notice what he says. And he said, All these things I've kept from my youth. Really? Here's what Jesus is confronting him with. This fellow, he must see his shortcomings in the law. He must see his shortcomings in the law. Look at something. When you look at these five commandments here that are listed, these are the five commandments of the ten that deal with your personal relationship with other people. These five commandments deal with your personal relationship with other people. So here's what Jesus is doing. So the guy's sitting there saying, Hey, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says to him, Well, you know what the law says? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't bear false witness. And he goes on. And a guy says, Well, yeah, hey, I've done it from my youth. Now, from his youth, let me explain that. Remember, a Jewish boy, when he was thirteen, would become an adult. So what the young man what this young man is saying is From the time that I became an adult at thirteen. I've done all this. He doesn't see it, does he? Because here's the thing, you know what? If I go over to Romans chapter 7, I was just there last week. Here's what Paul says about the law. He says that the law is not bad, but the law gives opportunity to sin. When the law gives me a commandment, sin takes that opportunity and trips me up whereby I break that commandment. That's what the law does. The law exposes the sinfulness of our own hearts so that when we're told not to do something, guess what we want to do? We want to do it. See, that's our human tendency. Here's what Jesus is trying to say to this guy. Here's these commandments. What about them? Hey, I've done it. Really? You've never struggled with lust? What does that got to do with it, George? Remember what Jesus said. If you lust in your heart after a woman, you've already what? Committed adultery. You've never hated anybody? What did Jesus say? If you hate someone in your heart, you've already what? Murdered them. You've never lied about anyone. Ever. Did you see the point? There's no way possible that this could be taking place in this guy's life. But here's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's coming to him and saying, "Look, first of all, you got to have a proper understanding of who you're standing before God." And now he's saying, "You got to see your shortcomings in the law because you, you're not seeing them." So the guy says, "Verse 21, yeah, I've done this all," and almost he doesn't even ask Jesus. Now the writer doesn't tell us that he asked the questions, "What more must I do?" It doesn't even come out of the passage, because what you see here is a guy who is really. He thinks he's got it together. He's perfect. I'm doing it. But I want you to notice how Jesus responds to him in verse 22. Look with me at verse 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he asked him, You still lack one thing. Okay, you've got it all together. You've done the right thing here. You're keeping all these commandments perfectly here. Uh, But you know what? I, I still think that there's one thing you're missing here. There's one area of your life that you maybe need to deal with. And look what he says there. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Let me explain what's going on here. First of all, the point I want you to see is is that he must be willing to give up all for God. So I'm going to have to need to clarify this because you can come away from this with a wrong concept. I want you to have a right concept. The wrong concept that you can have is to look at this and say, Oh my, Jesus wants me to be poor. Jesus wants me to give everything up for everybody else and not worry about myself. You know what? You can read it that way, but that is not what he's talking about. Take a look at what the passage is saying. And then we'll go through it one by one and I'll give you the logical answer of what's going on here. Jesus says to him, you know what, hey, I perceive that there's still one thing lacking in your life. You think you're perfect? You think you got your act together? You think you're okay and you're going to make it all right? Well, I'm, I'm going to point something out to you by a simple test. I perceive one thing in your life and I'm going to give you a test. What Jesus is telling him to do here, folks, is a test. A test of what he really believes. A test of what he really holds to. And so what he's going to do is, he's going to tell a guy who's obviously got lots of cash, and he's telling this guy, I'm going to test you here. Here's what you need to do. You need to take most of what you have, sell it, and give it to the poor, and then you can come talk to me. Then you can come talk to me. And notice how the guy reacts. He went away sorrowful. Because he had much wealth. What was the issue here? Jesus pointed out to him that there was one commandment that he wasn't keeping. What's that? Thou shalt not covet. See, here's the thing. This guy, as far as he was concerned, there was one thing that he worshipped more than God. There was one thing that was more important to him than God. What was it? His stuff. His money. His wealth. And what Jesus is trying to do to him, because what he's doing, the the whole basis of this challenge is to show this rich guy his need for God. So he's going to talk to him first of all about what? His standing before God. Look, there's only one God. Are you even considering who you're talking to and you're standing before Him? You're being pretty flippant here. Number two, you say you're keeping all the commandments. Are you sure about that? Don't you see your own shortcomings? And then finally, here, you must be willing to give up all for me. Are you willing to do that? And the guy's saying, whoa, "Whoa, whoa, no, no, he's not." See, that's a confrontation. It's not an issue of whether or not you need to give up everything for the poor. Let me just stop for a moment. God may be telling you to do something for the poor, so you do it. But the issue is, is what are you holding on to that's more important than your relationship with God? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it a hobby? What's, what's more important for you? You say, does God test us like that? I don't know if I believe that, George. Wanting to see if what's more important in our lives. Does God we test us like that? Well, just think back to Genesis. Remember, he gave a promise to Abraham. Abraham waited for 25 years for a what? A son. Then the scripture records that one day God came to him and said, I want you to take your boy and some wood... And go over to this mountain. And I want you to sacrifice him. To me. That was a test of Abraham, wasn't it? And, And remember the story. Abraham basically was even at the point of raising the knife to kill him. To sacrifice him. Before God stopped him. And he said, now I know. Now I know. That you trust me and you believe in me. See, What aren't you willing to give up? See, this is the issue here. Jesus is saying to this guy, and I perceive this, give up some things that you hold dearly to, and then come talk to me. That's the confrontation here. So you say, okay, wow, what do we do? What do we do with this, George? Where do we go with this? Well, look, the disciples are hearing this, and the disciples are blown away by it, because Jesus makes a pronouncement, about what's going on here when the disciples hear this they're like whoa what's happening here look what's going on there look with me at verse 24 we're going to see what true discipleship is we're not talking about the self-righteous thing because in reality what the self-righteous thing lifts up is not God in a person's heart what the, what the reality of a self-righteous person is he lifts up himself and what he wants but look at what true discipleship here knows what Jesus says. When Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, who can be saved? What's going on here? First of all, I want you to notice something. Here's what Jesus is saying. Materialism hinders true spirituality. Materialism hinders true spirituality. And what Jesus is saying is is that you can get so wrapped up into the things of this world and the stuff of this world of what we have that it will hinder your true spirituality. It will hinder your walk with God. You say, well, George, is it wrong for us to to try to make a better life for ourselves? No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Don't get me wrong here. Don't listen to what I'm saying to you. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Work hard. Take care of your families. But here's the thing. The question is, what has you? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a question of having money or money having you. What do you mean by that, George? Well, you can have money, but you realize money is a tool. And money was given to you by God, and so therefore you can go give it to someone else. But if money has you, what does that mean? We've all met people who've been had by money, right? where that becomes the most important thing. That becomes the most sacrificial thing. So Jesus is saying it's hindering there. Now, I want you to notice the reaction, because I want you to relate to what's going on here in the Bible. The reaction of the disciples is, is oh, wait a minute, now this blows my mind. Look at what he says there. And when they heard this, they said, well, it could be saved because Jesus, we're all like that. We all want what he has, because you have to understand, in their culture, material blessing was assumed to be the blessing of God. And if you were somebody who was, maybe even if you were poor, you would assume that if you were doing the right thing, then God's going to bless you what? Materially. So this is like Jesus, listen to Jesus and you're like, whoa, this is radical. Well, who, who possibly could be saved? Because that's what we're all striving for. At least they're being honest, right? See, so here's the thing. Let's be. Let's stop for a moment. That's the issue. The issue is being honest. The rich guy wasn't being honest. He was acting like he had his act together. He was, quote, I'm doing all the right things. But reality was that he was grabbed by one thing, and that was what he had, his wealth. And that hindered him from truly understanding the gospel, truly understanding Christ. And so here they are. They're being honest. And I want you to notice what Jesus responds then. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Here's what he says Salvation is the work of God. See, there's this self righteous guy was asking, What can he do to get it? And in the meantime, he was missing everything about his life. But Jesus is saying, No, 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 you don't understand. You, it's really tough. In fact, he uses an illustration that's almost ridiculous. A camel. How many of you have been to the zoo and seen a camel? It's a pretty tall animal got one or two humps, brown, ugly. Now you take that big critter and you take a little sewing needle. How many of you sew? I know my daughter and my wife, they sew. They got a little, you know, if I button up, pop a button, I give it to my wife and she takes the sewing needle and she's got to thread it. But here's what I'm saying. Jesus is saying, it, it's almost like taking a camel and having it pass through the eye. Of the is that Can you even do that? No, it's impossible. You can't do anything for salvation. Why? Salvation is the work of God. See, what's impossible for you, what's impossible for you to do, God does. Do you understand? Think about that for a moment. Let's go back to the three things Jesus challenged him with. Number one, he challenged him about his standing with God. You know what? If you're honest with yourself, you realize, you know what, Lord? You are holy other than me. I don't do right. I mess up all the time. In fact, I see my shortcomings in the law. That's number two. Lord, every day I'm messing up. And God, I'll be honest with you. There are some times when I just don't want to. Number three, give it up for you. That's honesty. And God wants us to come to Him and to be honest. Religious people don't want to be honest. That's why we're called what? Hypocrites. Is that not true? Because we act like we got our act together. So let's quit pretending. See, salvation is a work of God. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for that? And then notice something here. Peter then responds, I mean, you've got to appreciate Peter here. Look with me. Verse 28. Well, see, we've left all. We, we gave it up all. Jesus, I had a fishing business. I gave it up and I followed you. Because, they, again, they're thinking in terms of what they're going to get out of it. But Jesus wants to tell them, look, you folks, you're, you're again, you're, you're distracted by the wrong things. God will, here's the point I want you to see, God will reward our present sacrifice for Jesus. Look at what he says. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present life and in the age of to come, eternal life. Yeah, you're giving it up now for me? Great. Because later on, you'll be rewarded greatly. Isn't that awesome? You say, okay, George, how do we apply this? Well, let me just ask you a point-blank question. Number one, are you casual about your spiritual life? I mean, do you take it serious or are you casual? Are you honest? Or are you casual? Do you think you got your act together? So are you casual? And here's the other thing. thing. You may be here and you're a believer, but this is a good question. Is there something you're not willing to give up? What is the test for you? For this guy, it was to sell most of what he had and give it to the poor. Jesus is not going to ask that of everyone here. Do you understand? But Jesus is going to ask you maybe to give up something from your life. Maybe it's your hobby. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something else. What is it that... Jesus is asking you to give up what is he testing you to see if you truly love him what is it that you're not willing to give up so then here's what I need you to do here's the action point point because you, and, and, and write, write this down this is what you need to do because we're, this is more than just taking it as a message that you're going to forget about after lunch this is taking it and doing something with it during the week identify and deal with the distractions in your walk with God what is it that's hindering you in your relationship with him And deal with it. If God's showing you something this morning and he's identifying an area of your life, here's the key thing, folks. You really need to, listen to me, you really need to do what he's telling you to do. We say, George, I don't know that I can do it. I mean, whoa, can I do that? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you can't. Well, then why do I need to do it? Well, you need to take the step and allow God to do it through you. That's the wonderful thing, is he will help you Deal with the distractions. So really the issue is this. Are you going to be like the self-righteous guy? Got your act together? Think you're doing all right, but you're not? Or are you going to be honest and truly follow Jesus?
0: Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you.